This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, The mild voice of reason, pleading the cause of an enlarged and permanent interest, is but too often drowned before public bodies, as well as individuals, by the clamors of an impatient avidity for immediate and immoderate gain. End quote. And that quote comes from James Madison, founding father of the United States, and born March 16th, in 1751 in Port Conway of the Virginia colony of then British America. He died June 28, 1836, at the age of 85 in Montpelier, Virginia, in then the United States. Madison had quite the resume, as did many of founding father at the time. He was a representative of the state of Virginia. He was the Secretary of State, and he was also elected the fourth president of the United States. And in addition to those responsibilities, Madison's name is forever tied to arguably the most important legal case in U.S. history, that is, Marbury versus Madison. Some of you may be familiar with this case, others may not, so I'll go through it real quick just to explain why it is so significant and why Madison was involved. But in 1801, the outgoing president at the time, John Adams, in the 11th hour of his presidency, appointed Marbury... Mr. Marbury, a justice of the peace in Washington, D.C. Presidential appointments were then carried to those individuals, delivered to them by the Secretary of State. And the following day, Thomas Jefferson assumed the office. And because Jefferson and Adams were not friends, as rarely the incoming and outgoing president would count themselves as close friends, because some of those appointments had not been delivered, Jefferson considered them invalid and refused to have them delivered and ordered his then Secretary of State, James Madison, not to deliver them. Well, Mr. Marbury, being more than a little bit upset about this, decided to sue James Madison in the Supreme Court, seeking his appointment from John Adams and what's called a writ of mandamus. And a writ of mandamus I'm not a legal scholar, but I can Google things. A writ of mandamus is a court order for a public official to perform their duties. So that's what Mr. Marbury was suing James Madison for in the Supreme Court was, hey, I should be appointed a justice of the peace, as John Adams said I should be. Just because Thomas Jefferson doesn't like John Adams doesn't mean that I shouldn't get my job. And it's wrong of him to tell James Madison not to give me my appointment. Well, the Supreme Court heard the case. The the case was argued before Chief Justice John Marshall, and he issued a two-pronged decision, and this is where the magic happened. First, he stated that Madison's refusal was, in fact, illegal. Madison's refusal to deliver Marbury's appointment was, in fact, illegal. But, and this is the second part, the Supreme Court did not have the authority, or, more accurately, had been granted the authority inappropriately by Congress in the Judiciary Act of 1789 above and beyond the powers that were outlined in the Constitution, and that it was in fact the court's job 
to interpret the constitutionality of any law. Now, that may sound familiar because that is what the Supreme Court does for the United States today. That is called judicial review, and it originated as a result of this Marbury versus Madison case back in 1801 and is held true for more than 200 years. That is why it is such an important legal statute. It sets a precedent that allows the Supreme Court to interpret laws of many and varied kinds as it has throughout its history, but it originated there in 1801 in Marbury versus Madison, or rather it was a couple of years later that this actually occurred. But 1801 is where this all originated. So that's important. And Madison's name is forever tied to that landmark case. And as I said, Madison was a man of many and varied responsibilities. And one of them was as one of the three authors, John Jay and Alexander Hamilton being the other two, who published 85 essays arguing for a federal government, which is what we now have in the United States. And they were published anonymously, and they were called, appropriately, the Federalist Papers. And they sought to encourage the state of New York, specifically, but also others, to ratify the newly written Constitution over the existing Articles of Confederation. And for those that don't know, in the early portion of American history, America was founded in 1776, and at that point, they sought to outline the responsibilities. Now, the United States being afraid of monarchical rule as they had just recently escaped and earned their freedom from in England, they wanted to distribute power as much as was possible. Well, that's exactly what the Articles of Confederation did. The Articles of Confederation gave immense power to the individual states and almost none to any kind of centralized government for fear of over-centralizing power to a government and recreating in governmental form, what they had just escaped in Great Britain. And that's what many, many of the arguments were against a federal government, was that centralizing power uh, in any way in a federal system would essentially return all of these people who had escaped British rule back to a form of that exact rule. Well, that is not how Madison, Jay, and Hamilton saw it. And so they wrote these various essays in an attempt to convince people, to dissuade people, to not believe the misinformation that was floating around. Yes, that was still a thing back in the 18th century. And they wrote, they were actual participants in the drafting of the Constitution. And the Articles of Confederation were written in 1776, ratified in 1781, and they left a lot to interpretation. So, for example, in the... Federalist paper that this quote originates, which is Federalist number 42, Madison writes about the many and varied powers that he believes that the federal government needs to have. One of importance, well, there are a number, they're all important, and they're all there today, and we don't even necessarily realize that they didn't exist until after the Constitution was ratified. But one of the important ones was that of naturalization, or the ability to come to the United States from having been born elsewhere and become a United States citizen. Well, prior to that, the federal government did not have the ability to set a standard for this. It was up to the individual states. Well, you can imagine a situation then where somebody shows up to the state of Florida and Florida says, no, you do not meet the requirements to be a citizen of the United States per hour, the state of Florida, sovereign individual state of Florida, you do not meet the requirements. 
That person, traveling slightly westward, may stop in in Louisiana, and Louisiana may say, yes, you do, indeed, meet the requirements to be a citizen of the United States per hour requirements. While the state of Florida must recognize the citizenship of citizens of the United States from Louisiana, and that therefore gives Louisiana power by default over the state of Florida because their citizens must be recognized by the state of Florida even if they don't meet Florida's requirements for citizenship. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense now, does it? And it's not how we do it today. Now, the federal government sets the requirements for naturalization as a United States citizen. That was something that Madison was arguing for in Federalist 42, among other things. And the Constitution was drafted to improve upon those Articles of Confederation. But some of the states, in order to ratify the Constitution, some of the states needed convincing. And that's what Jay and Hamilton and Madison set out to do in the Federalist Papers. So the Federalist Papers were a form of propaganda, I suppose, that outlined and explained positions from men who were actually drafting the Constitution. It was an attempt to explain what was going on under the hood and why, while this may sound scary, these are important things that the federal government needs to be able to do. And as I mentioned, today's quote comes from the Federalist 42, which was titled, The Powers Conferred by the Constitution Further Considered. And Madison describes what powers the new federal government would have and need, and also why. And I already mentioned naturalization, but other things that were mentioned in Federalist 42 was the ability to send ambassadors to do the nation's bidding to other countries. The regulation of foreign commerce. You can imagine it wouldn't be the best thing if Massachusetts had a trade agreement with the, with the nation of France, but North Carolina did not for some reason. It also regulated interstate commerce. So one of the challenges at the time was that goods that were made in one state that had to pass through an intermediate state to get to a third state could be taxed by that intermediate state, levied by that intermediate state, and therefore that intermediate state could profit off of the movement of goods from one state to another, provided those goods had to pass through that state. So an example of this might be if South Carolina grows cotton, and wants to export that cotton from South Carolina to the state of Virginia, the most direct route goes through the state of North Carolina. Well, North Carolina could tax that cotton coming into the state of North Carolina from South Carolina, and it could tax it on the way out of North Carolina into Virginia. North Carolina contributed nothing to that cotton other than the roads that allowed it to be traveled in order to reach its destination. And this created what Madison describes as a perverse incentive for those states that don't contribute to profit off of those that do in a certain area. Additionally, he talked about the ability to coin money, to actually print money. Prior to this, every state had its own currency. And it, the enforcement of forgeries, which is another thing that he, or the prosecution of forgeries, rather, was another thing that he mentions here, where it was up to the individual state to prosecute their own forgeries. Well, centralizing money and its generation and also prosecuting its forgeries, he viewed and Hamilton and Jay viewed and ultimately was determined by the Constitution to be a federal responsibility, also to fix weights and measures. So you can imagine that if different states are measuring things, whether they be linear dimensions or volumes by different standards, it's incredibly hard to execute trade between places when a pound in the state of Massachusetts is different than a pound in the state of Rhode Island. 
So he also said this is a federal responsibility. He talked about naturalization. He also touches on bankruptcy and also the establishment of a post office. Because at the time, that was not a federal responsibility. The federal government did not have the power to do this. So these are some of the things that Madison talks about in Federalist 42. And in talking about some of these, he makes this statement, and it kind of comes out of nowhere. He's elaborating on each of these individual areas that I just mentioned, everything from ambassadors to bankruptcy. And he's talking about why they're important and why they should be centralized. And then he drops this wonderful line. And it's so applicable a little bit difficult to parse, so I'm going to read it again so you can hear it fresh and have it in your mind before we dive, all, before we dive into it a little bit. Madison says, quote, The mild voice of reason, pleading the cause of an enlarged and permanent interest, is but too often drowned before public bodies as well as individuals by the clamors of an impatient avidity for immediate and immoderate gain. End quote. And what Madison is saying here, kind of to summarize what he's saying, is that too often things that are good for us in the long run are drowned out by the immediate desires. And this is something that I recall teaching my students as an instructor. And that this very much holds true today. And this is the idea that short-term, the ability to sacrifice short-term enjoyment for long-term goals is extremely important. Now, at the time when I was saying this regularly, I was talking to college students and as you know, college is, at the very least, at its very most fundamental, an educational institution designed to show that at time that, that the individual who achieves a degree from a university can invest time now for goals later. That's largely what it says, if even that sometimes, to potential future employers. So you are literally sacrificing short-term enjoyment, short-term monetary gain, let's say. If you enter the workforce at 18, instead of going to college, you start making money immediately. You are sacrificing that for the potential to make more money later based on a degree. Now, of course, we can get into the what's more valuable. It's not the point. The point is that there is at least a perception that a college degree proffers the potential for greater earnings over the long run than immediately entering the workforce, which is why so many people do it. Otherwise, why would they do it? So they are literally sacrificing short-term enjoyment for long-term goals. And that's what Madison is saying here. Madison is saying in a far more eloquent way than I ever could that too often things that are the best for us in the long run, in his case, he's arguing for the ability to regulate foreign commerce, the, the ability to regulate interstate commerce, the ability to print money at the federal level and manage forgeries, et cetera, et cetera, is in the long run much more valuable for the United States than the individual states' rights that all of these states had to, and, and not just rights, but responsibilities that these states had to deal with under the Articles of Confederation. And he's saying part of the problem, part of what you're probably hearing, reader of this Federalist paper published in the 1780s, early 1780s, or excuse me, late 1780s, is that if we do this, We'll lose this right here and now. We'll lose this power right here and now. We'll lose this freedom right here and now. And what Madison is saying, and what I think is uh, applicable to us here today, is that sometimes sacrificing short-term comforts for long-term goals is worth it. In this case, he's making an argument that the states should sacrifice these little freedoms and responsibilities that they have, because ultimately in the long run, having these things in place at the federal level will be good for everybody. So the takeaway for me today is that as I read Madison's words, 
That's very often true. Very often it is easy to do the immediate here and now. This could be the, but I want the ice cream now. Well, but in the long run, I want to be in shape and be able to go out on the beach in the summer and not have to worry that people are looking at me because I'm out of shape. Well, the short-term enjoyment in that scenario is the ice cream. The long-term goal is to feel good being out on the beach in the summertime. It's a crude goal. It's a rough goal, but you get the point. The idea here is that Madison, arguing to the states on the macro level, that sacrificing some of these individual states' rights, ceding them to the federal government is ultimately good for the country, is the same in the micro when we turn down the snack or that extra drink or the whatever because we want to be, we want to be in shape in six months. They're the same thing. And the value is still there. And we know that Madison couldn't have been completely wrong because it worked. Spoiler for those that don't know, the Constitution was ratified. The Constitution is what we operate under today in the United States. It worked. Hamilton and Jay and Madison executed a brilliant propaganda campaign and a good kind of propaganda, not a bad kind, and got states to get on board with this. And we operate under these structures today and don't even realize it. I didn't know that this is how naturalization came to be a federal responsibility, but here it is, right on paper. So think about that. The next time you're presented with an immediate gratification, an immediate short-term enjoyment, ask yourself, what long-term goal, what long-term desire am I sacrificing for this short-term enjoyment? That's what I think about, and I think that's what you should think about as well. That's what we should think about as we go forward. What short-term enjoyment are we letting rob us of a long-term goal? Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.